This is Got Marketing, a podcast with ideas, strategies, and tactics to help small businesses create smarter marketing. I'm Mia Feilman, a professional marketer and the founder of Campaign Del Mar. And in this show, I chat with creatives and strategists about the different aspects of marketing, but without the fluff. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today, I am joined by an absolute legend, one of my good friends, Melissa Packham, who is a marketing and brand strategist, and her business is A Brand Is Not A Logo. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much. What a beautiful intro. It's such a cool thing to be here with you. And we are going to be discussing probably our favorite topic. Which is ethical marketing and the gurus. Yes, yes. Can't wait to dive into this. This is like recording our DM banter for the last multiple years. (laughs) So I'm excited to dive in properly in a conversation. Yes, me too, to to turn all of those DMs and emails and rants into (laughs) something that's actually useful and educational for small business owners. So let's go right to the beginning who is a guru? What is a guru? <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's the eternal question that we're trying to unpack right now. But I think, um, I think it's sort of that celebrity entrepreneur uh, kind of vibe. Um, and they, they bring, you know, the, the secrets, the formulas, the plug and play solutions, um, you know, the I've worked it out and you can too. Um, and, and they've they've turned that into their whole business model. Right. So they're the rags to riches narratives. They they make outrageous claims like, you know, work four hours a week, make money in your sleep, sell high-end courses on autopilot, um, you know, scale your business to seven figures, you know, in 12 months. <laughs> and um, they are prolific. You probably will have first encountered a guru on social media. They spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on paid Facebook ads, and they're usually peddling this rags to riches narrative. Um, And exactly as you said, um, Mel, that it worked for me. So it's definitely going to work for you, right? Of course. What could possibly be different about your life to my life? (laughs) Right. So what is unethical about the gurus? And I have my view on this, but I definitely want to hear yours. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's the, it's the whole formula for how, that they, how they market and sell. Um, the shame-based language that they're using, it's, it's weaponizing psychology against us and it's making us feel like we're lacking in something, like we're missing something that's super easy and that how could we not have seen it before? And then they suck us into their funnels, which are all using the same, the same formula for funnels. And, you know, we get upsold from a $27 offer to a multiple thousand dollar mastermind. And it's, it's just, it's unnecessary and it simplifies um, very complex, you know, running a business is complex. And so it, it cannot be templated and it doesn't all get, you know, distilled into six easy steps. Um, you know, that's simply the way that they're trying to sell it to us. So that's what I think is unethical about it is the language that they're using, the oversimplification of something that cannot be simplified. 
um, the assumption that we're all the same and we're all going through the same thing and we have access to the same resources as each other, which is, which is you know, a whole other <laughs> white um, patriarchal kind of issue in itself. Um, it's all of that wrapped up and we're buying into it because we want to believe that these things are easy and that and we want these quick solutions because we all want our businesses to succeed. Absolutely. For me, the thing that irks me the most is that it's lying. Yeah. It's really they're lying. And I understand that like eth- ethics are different for different people. So, you know, I have a line, you have a line, and my line might be different to yours. But at some point we need to draw a line. Mm-hmm. And I draw the line at deceit and lying. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and they're some of the claims that they make are outright lies. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, and, you know, this is one of the more basic ones where they say um, you do not need an email list to sell a high-ticket offer um, and have it sold out, have it mm-hmm. sell out. Well, that's simply not true because they themselves have huge email lists mm-hmm. and it's how they sell out their programs. So they are giving advice to people that they themselves do not even follow. So not mm-hmm. only does the formula not work for you, it doesn't actually work for them either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to um, what end? Like what is the benefit of that then? You know, what is the benefit of that lie? Um, it just serves their bottom line. That's all it is. All of it is motivated by greed Mm -hmm. and that is all it is. And it really comes from a place of profit where they are like profit first, profit first. They want to stop trading time for money. They don't want to work with customers one-on-one anymore. And so they have needed to come up with a business model that is one to many. Mm -hmm. And um, this is how they've packaged it up, which is, you know, the um, generalization and commoditization of marketing, mm. which as you and I know as professional marketers, is one size fits nobody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the um, the amusing thing sort of sitting on the sideline for so long. And now, you know, we're, we're both becoming more vocal about this, which is great because more people need that that point of view. But sitting on the sideline and watching these tactics play out, <laughs> You're just sitting there shaking your head going, this is not, this is not right. This is not how this works. There are better ways. There are ways that doesn't make you lose all sense of morality in order to sell something for profit only. And that's a big, that's a big part of it, isn't it? Is that it, it is that profit first, um, losing the whole side of the fact that the point of business isn't actually money it's actually something else. If you've got something that is worth a high value ticket item, um, then you, you, there's more to it than just making money. It's actually making transformation and something meaningful happen in somebody's life. So I, I don't like that we've lost sight of that. Absolutely. I saw this on your social media. I think it was today that we should be putting purpose above profit mm-hmm. because, let, we all know that in the long term, money does not make you happy. It just mm-hmm. doesn't. It's mm-hmm. it's sure for the first couple of years, it'll be like, yeah, this is great. I made all this money. But ultimately, that's not what's going to fill your cup. It's going to be helping people transform and that, serving that higher purpose mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. 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 So um, what is the litmus test then in terms of, 
unethical to ethical marketing. Um, so I've said it's lying and deceit. Um, and while people listening might say, oh, but this is all very harmless, you know, you know, they're making these outrageous claims, but who's believing them? Like, what does it matter? We can have a good laugh at them. But you and I have both had clients come to us who have spent thousands of dollars with the gurus and have been left wanting. And now we're the ones that are cleaning up the mess. And it is eroding trust in the entire online marketing world where people say to me every day, I'm sorry, Mia, your program sounds great, but I don't want to run another online program. I've, I've, I have a pile of, (laughs) I've done them. I have a pile of unfinished courses and they promised that I was going to be able to run the business of my dreams and I'm not running the business of my dreams. So I'm sorry. So what is a good litmus test in your, um, in your opinion, in terms of, you know, walking that line between ethical and unethical marketing? I think, honestly, it starts with understanding your own values and your own ethics. So being really clear about what you value and what you believe um, is a good way to operate in the world. Because remember, we are... We are making a choice about how we market and we are making a choice to contribute in society in a certain way. And if we choose to to follow these tactics and make people feel less than or shame them into buying from us and then shame them into like or not providing enough value that they're not even getting that value and that transformation that they're so desperately seeking, it's not good for anybody. It doesn't help us as business owners. It doesn't help society at large. It teaches it teaches us as marketers that we can shame people into buy. And I just think that's wrong. So I think starting with your own personal values and de- develop from there what those values inform in terms of the way that you do business. But the real thing is, is this promoting agency in my audience? Do they have the right information in order to make a clear, informed decision about whether they spend their money with me? Um, what am I withholding and why? Um, what, what would I need to know if I were making this purchasing decision? Um, and that that breaks down a lot of those barriers because suddenly that false scarcity actually it there's plenty to go around there is no limit you know that we don't need to we don't need to activate FOMO um, because that's not true (laughs) and like you said it's just lying so you know is is it lying to say that there's limited spaces it may not be the case maybe there are limited spaces Um, is it lying that there's a time you know a countdown timer flashing in my face that I need to make a decision and rush me into making a decision or have I been provided with everything I need in order to make that decision Um, and of course everyone has their own ethics we make our own decisions about what specific tactics we will and won't do but I think planning that out and thinking about it and questioning every tactic or everything that you're told in the plug and play formula why is this happening why am I doing this um, you, that's that's a great way to sort of test yourself and, and, and refer back to your own set of values to, to make, does it feel good? Does it feel right? Does it feel honest? Um, and how will this make my people feel? Because I just can't imagine being able to answer that question with, oh, I don't know or I don't care because that <laughs> it's just that's just wrong. <laughs> Human-to-human mm-hmm. business doesn't work that way and establishing honest and transparent dis- um, relationships with people doesn't work that way. Yeah. One of the things that really disappoints me about all of this is that the gurus are telling 
their customers that this is how they need to market their business. And so the gurus are breeding gurus. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. these small business owners who don't have a marketing background think that this is how you need to do marketing. And even though it doesn't sit well with them, they have been told by the gurus that, well, this is just how you need to do it. You need to be sending an email a day and it needs to have some shame provocation and false scarcity and countdown timers because, you know, we need to um, nudge people into making decisions Agitate. and like, you know, yeah, we need to throw, we need to push them before they jump and, you know, they're walking around with a headache and, you know, you need to give them a cure. I'm like. They're not walking around with a headache. You've given them a headache and then you've (laughs) sold them something that's not even close to going to solve that headache. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I think the real thing that I want to get across to small business owners marketing their business is that there is another way to market your business. You do not need to do any of this, nor should you. And in fact, this is going to erode your brand value long-term. This is going to chip away at your authority and your credibility and people just will not trust you. And trust, well, that's the ball game. That is, mm-hmm. that is, you know, the basis of a relationship and relationships are the basis of marketing. And so really take out of this conversation that um, there is a, a another approach to marketing that you can use other than the one um, set up by the gurus. Mm -hmm. I just want to dig deep into one of the promises that the gurus use specifically, which is around scaling your business. And this one really, really shits me because um, they are telling small business owners to scale their business to seven figures and the data eight, tells all right yes oh it, it gets <laughs> just been casually it, thrown around here yeah <laughs> you know what three years ago it was six figures yeah. and then it was like no 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 that's not outrageous enough we need to go to seven figures and okay. now we need to go like there's just this eight. one up we, we need, need eight, eight. but but that's all fueled by I need eight therefore I need to tell my audience of people who I've just got to six figures or maybe not or maybe seek, you know, desperately seeking that six figures that we need to go to eight now. So it's 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 purely uh, egotistically driven consumerism at its worst. And sorry, but if you're making eight figures, and I've never fucking heard of you, that's <laughs> that's not on. Like yeah. I'm. I'm pretty sure I can name quite a few of the billionaires, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Yeah, yeah, you pop up in my feed and I've never heard of you, but you claim to make eight figures, have never been on Forbes. Like, okay, sure, (laughs) great. Um, But the data tells us that the number one reason for startup failure is premature scaling. Mm -hmm. And so the guru is telling us, to scale our businesses is really dangerous advice. Mm. You know, this isn't just bad advice and un- unethical advice. This is like you could lose your business and your livelihood mm. over, over mm-hmm. this. Yeah. So let's talk about scaling. <laughs> yes, let's. <laughs> um, that, that, that promise works, though, because we want to believe that there's, there's a solution to overnight success. 
um, mm. what that doesn't do, what their promises don't tell us or what they don't show us is the fact that they are not themselves a product of that formula. Like you said, they're using completely different formulas to create their own business. So we're not seeing the time and effort that goes into it, the trial and error. And they talk about it, but they simplify it and they make out that it can all, all that they've learned can be distilled into five easy steps to scale or whatever it might be. Um, but what, what that promise also doesn't do is account for nuance of context and changes in the marketplace and a deep, intimate understanding of your audience and what their needs are. They're changing needs. So it, it, it's a gross oversimplification of a, a strategic move that businesses make when they are ready to do so and when they've built essential foundations for doing so. And I think that's what's missing is that building those foundations takes time and it takes that learning. You've got to make the mistakes to learn the lessons. You've got to put stuff out there for people to respond to and feedback. And, yeah, the, the pressure to scale comes, <laughs> comes to desperate business owners who, are, who want to see the potential for their business come to fruition. Yeah. So the gurus all started as service-based businesses or product-based businesses. And in the first sort of three years of their business, they slogged it out like the, the rest of us, doing one-on-one consults and, you know, working with clients one-on-one. And then they, you know, reached enlightenment mm-hmm. and uh, decided to, you know, drink all from the same Kool-Aid and become gurus. And now what they're saying is that, you don't have to go through those first three to five years of business like they did because they've unlocked some sort of formula. You can just take what they've learned and apply it to you, which is some really high-grade bullshit, mm-hmm. right? You absolutely mm-hmm. need to go through those first really difficult, really challenging and you know tumultuous three years to figure out all of what you just said about your people, your offer, your value proposition, your service delivery, so that you can come up with a scalable model. Um, And so, no, there is no erasing those first three to five years because those years for them is what built their profiles. It's Mm -hmm. what got them those email um, subscribers. It's what gave them their podcast listeners. It's what gave them these huge personal brands akin to celebrity status. It's what gave them tens of thousands of social media followers. And it is that huge audience that they are now marketing to and preying on. But they're saying to you, you don't need a big audience. Who? Of course you do. Just <laughs> yeah. To try to get thousands of people into your course or your digital products, of course you need a big audience. It is a funnel and it is shaped like a funnel for a reason. The more more people at the top, (laughs) the more people at the bottom. Like you can't. (laughs) So um, that's the issue I have with the the premature scaling is that it's very much do as I say, not as I have done and mm. not as as I have demonstrated and, and what I had to go through. And as you said, a, a huge oversimplification 
of what it takes to get to that stage. But another point that you made, which is a really, really good one, is that a lot of the gurus at the moment, they rely on um, getting people into their, their online courses and digital products, evergreen digital products. And look, two to three years ago, that was an emerging market and um, the people that were able to launch evergreen digital products and online courses did quite well. But now this market is so saturated. Everyone is wanting to launch digital products and online courses and the results have been really questionable. Course completion rates are astonishingly low. And so people are really wary of this. So they're giving advice that doesn't take into consideration just market factors like Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. appetite, the demand for online courses and digital products has dried up and there is now an oversupply. Mm -hmm. And so they're telling people to follow a business model that is not sustainable. (laughs) Yeah. And what will happen when that's all dried up? That's There's a reason they're trying to get people into their multiple thousand dollar masterminds right now is because they know that. They know that that's the next step or that, that you know, it's the next thing that, that they can get money from. Um, the, the other big problem about all of this is it doesn't teach business owners anything. There's nothing there to be left with so that they can do that again and again. Um, and you, you can't teach that level of complexity when it comes to business. Only you know your audience. Only you know those market factors that um, impact your business the way that they do. And having that understanding and a framework, not a five-step formula, <laughs> a framework for um, evaluating those opportunities and threats and uh, building strategy as a result of that, that is something that you can't template. <laughs> you can't template that stuff. Um I know I've been looking at it. That's that's how do I how do I template strategy? How do you make that accessible for people? And the the truth is the results aren't there. It, it's just not the same. So by having a you know a plug and play you know type in the the response formula for um, scaling business, just it, <laughs> it's negligent. <laughs> you know that's what it it, like it's like you said it's dangerous that people you know put their put their businesses on the line um yeah the, the other thing is i've deconstructed a fair few of these gurus offers and having had to sit through some of the video content and the you know the course content um it's strategy very simplified so if if you actually invested time and money in understanding how strategy works then you could apply those same those same frameworks and those same ta- tactics, but in a way that's actually meaningful um, and repeatable for your business. And I- I'm sure you found the same thing. Yeah, I've watched some and they really, really concerned me because what they, the ones that I watched, what they were selling was self-help. It was really self-improvement and you are the problem and it's your limiting beliefs that are holding you back and this is the work that we need to do on you so that you can rise to the challenge and the reason why you're not making seven, six, eight figures is because of you and it really, really disturbed me because exactly like you said, you can't template strategy. Mm -hmm. So um, 
they're not trying. Instead, they're just selling self improvement, <laughs> Anthony yeah. Robbins style guru shit. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah and so I've, the questions there are: what, where are the gaps? Like, what are the gaps that are missing in this? You know, to to really understand fully how strategy works and can be can be repeated for your business because that's that's a thing it's not tick and flick (laughs) and that's something that um you know isn't taken into account with these solutions um but then the other piece you've just touched on is um stepping into spaces that you should not be stepping into (laughs) like what what qualifications do they have in dealing with these deep personal issues (laughs) and I, I don't think any of them are qualified in that so that's very concerning very concerning because they are doing essentially messing with your brain mm. with zero qualifications um, in mental health, clinical psychology and psychiatry and things that I don't really understand. But also they're telling people, I have seen gurus claim that you can turn what you know into an online course and start teaching people within a couple of years. And That's really concerning because, yes, I have an online program and I teach what I've been doing at a professional level for 20 years. And I just don't think that it is ethical to have been, you know, doing something for two years and then think that you can then go and teach it to other people just because you've you've dabbled in it for the last two years or even less. And now you can turn that into a course and people are going to invest in education, even though you have no qualifications, either, you know, industry qualifications or education qualifications. Mm. Well, that's an interesting point then about, um, you know, going back to everyone having their own values, everyone has their own um, set of criteria for what constitutes um, an authority or what you know who they put their trust and place their dollars with you know um, so that that is so subjective now because of the availability of the tools for us to do that to you know make our skills teachable in just a couple of years time and play on the fact that there's that rags to riches you know I was living in my car and now I'm a multi-million dollar um, jet-setting Lamborghini draping on um, su- superstar um, it plays into all of that. So, yeah, it's, again, just tapping into that formula um, and monetizing it. Yeah. So to actually scale your business, let's let's drop some truth bombs and some <laughs> real talk. It is going to require an investment in either your people, your technology, or for you to substantially change your offer because mm-hmm. if – Servicing 20 customers is very different to servicing 200, 2,000 and 20,000. And you are setting yourself up for some really, really unhappy customers if you try to just shoehorn your current offer for 20 people and make it work at scale. And there have been some notable examples of brands who've tried to do this and have um come crashing down. The one that comes to mind is um, uh, interior makeover service called Home Polish. Um, It, you know, gained huge popularity and um, it 
set about scaling their um, their business but without changing their offer. And what they did was they started to cut corners on their jobs and in the process they annoyed some really high-profile influencers. And only within a few months the company had folded and poor customer service seems to be one of the major reasons why premature scaling brings down startups. And so um, it's really important, as you said, to do that groundwork, to um, make sure you go through all the steps of scaling, the validation, the research, the um, the testing, and the gradual scaling, because it can have some really disastrous results if you are pushed before you jump. Yeah, absolutely. And Again, you, you don't have opportunity to learn from that either, from that that really fast scaling. I don't even know how this came about it, it, because in startup land, there's still time between, you know, a, an, an idea and an MVP and, a you know, an actual, you know, thriving multi-million dollar business. Canva didn't start, at, you know, a year ago, they started many, many years ago and they've been iterating and improving their product and improving their the customer experience and proliferating their offer, all those things over time using learnings and, you know, capitalising on trends and that kind of thing. So that stuff, even though we see that, we see the headlines, you know, after pay sold for $39 mil- billion, dollars. Yeah. <laughs> um, we see, you know, Canva just won, got another amazing injection of cash for their business. This stuff doesn't happen because um, they, they followed, they, you know, that they did this overnight. It's over time and, um, and has all those things in place to support that level of scaling and to, to help them get to that next step without burning the bridges and losing the equity in what they've built so far because, and you know, I'm coming at it from a brand equity perspective as well as, you know, um, financial metrics, but all of that is, is on the line if, you know, if you're flipping your business overnight and it's becoming this thing and it's, it's prevalent in online business, but it doesn't, that doesn't happen anywhere else. You know, it's just in online business that I've seen this kind of language around the scaling overnight and getting those seven, eight figures. Yeah, same. And, you know, looking at Canva, their growth has not been without risk. There have been huge, huge risks that they have taken and had to weather and had to go through, you know, like they raised the capital and then they needed to invest it wisely. And like, you know, they've, they've, built a huge team. Um, you know, those are all these people that they've needed to recruit. And then they've got all of these investors who are saying, okay, we're this better return and, and um, putting pressure on them to hit certain growth milestones. And at every stage, it has been risky. Mm-hmm. And so I really take issue with um, the notion that any of this is easy or straightforward mm-hmm. or happens in your sleep, um, and all of <laughs> yeah, this. You can't relent- manage people in your sleep, can you? You know, no. you, have to, you have to be very yeah. awake to manage people. And <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's the two things there is, you know, the two causes is that customer experience thing that you mentioned, but also the, the management of people. You've got a team, you've got to, you've got to coordinate them, you've got to create systems and, you know, operational foundations that they can work within, um, policies, rules, managing the actual personal side of, of HR. It's a whole thing. And so I think that's another 
one of the big reasons why startups scale is they hire the wrong people or they don't know how to manage people. They don't realise that they have to manage people, um, that not everyone is in their brain and executing things in the way that they want things to be done. So that that's another big challenge and I think a, a misconception that isn't talked about, uh, certainly in the online space. And everyone knows that the hardest thing about running a business is managing staff. Like mm-hmm. it's, it is, you know, you can't really progress without having to bring on that, that staff member. Like you are, there comes a point where you're like, look, it's just, it's, I can't, I have to bring on somebody else. But from that day on, that becomes your biggest challenge. And I have definitely experienced this firsthand. I ran an agency for seven years and I had a team across three states and it was the biggest challenge in my business, the most expensive. And, you know, it it really determines your success or failure is exactly as you said, recruiting the right people, training them, onboarding them, offboarding them. It is a whole other thing. And so we shouldn't (laughs) oversimplify it. I want to just talk about motivation for the gurus. Like obviously it's um, motivated by greed, but there seems to really be a tendency for the gurus, but also online business owners, entrepreneurs to lie. Why do you think that lying is, you know, just so commonplace amongst the entrepreneur cohort? I, I don't think they would they would call it that. I don't think mm. they either recognize that it is or they they don't see how harmful it is. I I just don't think there's enough questioning of those those tactics to even prompt that thought. I, I so think you're if saying you I don't them, think they uh, yeah, I think if you ask them they wouldn't they would we're not lying. Right. Until you probe until you probe them and then maybe they might kind of wake up to it. Um there there is more of a culture now to be talking about how ethical people are and you know they'll they'll claim that they're being ethical but still follow the same the same tactics. Um but again, ethics, my ethics, different to your ethics, it might not be kind of on their radar. And I think that's why it's because there is so much, it's so subjective. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the outright lying, I think it's it's almost misleading by omission. And I don't think a lot mm. of people realise that. So, you know, an example of that is if, if you're standing to gain financially by promoting someone's business and in an affiliate relationship, and you don't disclose that that's an affiliate relationship, I'm not lying to you. I'm still promoting the business um, and I'm getting my money, but I'm not telling you that I stand to gain. And then that, because that is information that could change someone's decision about about making that purchase. So I think there's a lot of that going on. Mm. Um, (laughs) And so it's not lying. It's just I'm not telling you all of the information to, to say whether that's right or wrong. Mm, it's not lying. It's exaggeration. It's yeah. not lying. It's puffery. Marketing puffery yeah, is always it's, the thing. <laughs> it's it's spin. You know, it's um, you know, helping people save helping themselves from people. themselves. Yeah, yeah, all of that. People. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I read a really interesting article in the Harvard Business Review about 
entrepreneurs and the truth. And um, they mentioned, I guess, probably the biggest example of um, entrepreneur um, deceit was Elizabeth Holmes, who was the founder of Theranos. And she lied about her company's blood testing technology. And she's now facing criminal fraud charges. And, you know, not every entrepreneur is to that degree, but the article really explored around why um, entrepreneurs do have this, um, you know, they take liberties with the truth. And one of the things that the article explored was the fact that there's just no accountability. No mm-hmm. one is, mm-hmm. no one is checking them. You know, when you take a big brand like the ones that we worked for, you know, L'Oreal and um, Parmalat, your Parmalat, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know these are publicly listed companies, and they are accountable to you know shareholders, and they have to release um, you know annual company statements and annual company reports. But in the startup world, you don't have to do any of that. There is literally nobody sense checking these promises and these claims, and that's one of the reasons the article said that entrepreneurs just have this casual relationship with the truth. The other one is, is that it's high risk. You know, they have borrowed money from family members, you know, their mothers and their sisters to build their businesses. And now there's a lot riding on that success. And so, you know, for them, it is a little bit live or die. And um, so they are prone to stretching the truth because the stakes are just so high for them. Mm, yeah and we're seeing that play out as well um you know an example was one of the Kardashians I don't know which one because I can't tell the difference between them (laughs) but uh one of them you know they were pushing 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 to um you know create her um billionaire status so that she was on the cover of Forbes and that was a big push to to be seen on the cover of Forbes but all the deception that went on behind the scenes uh, to inflate the value of the business and, you know, create create the perception that um, that she was a billionaire, um, just to become just to be named in the you know the top five hundred and be on the cover of Forbes. It's just we're seeing it everywhere, and I think that's why it, it makes us feel like it's acceptable behavior mm. or that it is necessary behavior um, to to do these things and just to follow blindly. Um, without questioning it all comes back to what are my values and you know what what is the point of this or what does this lead to what what potential damage or um or you know greatness comes from this what what is the impact ultimately um but yes the the exaggeration and the the puffery the inflation all of those things it, it all comes from that behavior so I'm not surprised to hear that that those are the reasons that entrepreneurs are lying because you're right there is a lot riding on it a lot of it is ego driven though as well as mm. financial risk is is the risk to reputation and that sense of belonging because that's what it you know if we've got we're talking hierarchy of needs thing if they're sitting at the tippy top of that you don't you don't want to fall down and and have everything ripped out from underneath you. So I think, yeah, it's just the lies build upon the lies to, to help maintain that perception. Mm, it's all a bit sad. So despite um, our best efforts, we are going to be competing with the gurus uh, for a long time to come. They're not going anywhere. So what are the best ways of um, dealing with and, you know, um, sharing that space with the gurus 
um, for ethical businesses and you know, ethical marketers, because it can seem like we're playing by the rules, but they're not. And um, it can feel very challenging to try to compete with someone who's not playing by the rules. However, um, we have some great strategies um, that we can share. I'm sure I've got some. Yeah. Uh, it's so it's, we're calling it ethical marketing, like it's a special niche thing, isn't it? You know, it, it, it should just be the way it is, you know, just be a decent human. Um, but I think the way to, to help uh, challenge this is just is to do it a different way, is to market in a way that makes people feel good, um, market in a way that makes people feel like they have, um, you know, all of the information they need because those are the people that will come back again and more people will come when they hear about these positive experiences. So imagine if all of those gurus' courses had 100% completion rate and five-star reviews. That, you know, that would, what, a, what a great story to be telling then instead of not caring about completion rates and not caring about you know, customer reviews. And funnily enough, you'll never see a negative customer review. Like you'll never find them. How curious is that? That is so bizarre, right? Because, you know, even you and I are going to have an occasional negative review. You can't please everyone all the time. It is, you know, it's, it's quantified, it's stated that there are going to be a a certain percentage of customers who are just not going to be pleased Mm -hmm. and you just need to accept that as the cost of doing business. But, yeah, they have zero. Yeah, so so just on that, um, you know, one of the tactics might be to not hide the negative reviews that you're Mm. getting but to respond to them in a, you know, a thoughtful, caring way, knowing that the customer is always right because perception is reality. Um, is to is to use those negative reviews to demonstrate that you're a well balanced business and that you don't need you know a scary legal team to write out the possibility of people sharing their actual thoughts about something. Um, I think owning up to that is completely fine. Totally, and um, my approach has obviously been to call out the gurus and say, Mm -hmm. this is bad behavior. And I pulled together an entire campaign that said, this is what it is. And it's shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think there's anything wrong with fighting back. They have taken Mm -hmm. the piss for so long. (laughs) And so um, I, I do think that you know, try to do it in an entertaining and humorous way like I did. I also haven't named and shamed on purpose. Don't want to get sued. Um, But raising awareness so that people, um, you know, buyers are more aware of what they're getting and shining a light on some of the unethical tactics. But then I think it's probably time we treated the gurus like proper competitors Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like laughing them off and saying, yeah, whatever. So for all their inflated value, demonstrate real value. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, for all their fake PR, their, um, you know, (laughs) Yahoo Finance top 10 list. Top 20. What a surprise. Amazing. Thanks for choosing me. Oh my god! I just can't believe I was chosen. Oh, this means so much, and uh, yeah. you know, and didn't cost me anything more than a couple of thousand dollars to Dollars. be in the list. Oh, yeah, just yeah, yeah, exactly. Beat that with actual thoughtful um, coverage in media, and you know, um, sharing thoughts about how how 
true authority looks, what that really looks like, true expertise, um, and help other people evaluate what uh, who they're giving their money to and, and reevaluate what qualifications matter and why. Exactly. So for all their false authority, demonstrate your real authority, you know, talk about your qualifications and your experiences and your awards and accolades that you've actually earned as opposed to bought Mm -hmm. and beat them at their own game. Because at the end of the day, this is a house of cards and it does come apart quite easily. Mm -hmm. And so um, it it won't take a lot for, for you to, you know, just play the long game and understand that there's nothing wrong with growing slowly and steadily and um, letting them sort of, you know, come come unraveled themselves really. Absolutely. I think uh, we are, as marketers, we imprint on society. So we have to remember that and we have to remember that, that that comes with responsibility. So Every time we're marketing, every time we're writing copy that goes out into the world in front of people, we're imprinting on society in some way. So we get to shape how we do that. And I think that consciousness, being aware of that, being responsible with that, realising the influence that we do have on people, if we'd all started that way, we wouldn't see this kind of marketing happening because we'd, we'd all understand that there's, there's people that are seeing us and listening to us and behaving because of us um, all over the place that you can't see all the time. So I think it's just always being conscious of that and taking it seriously, taking it really seriously. If everyone took that, it's not a game. It is a game if you play it like a game, but it could, mm. it could mean so much more if we took it seriously. And, um, yeah, I think you're right. We have to call them out when, when stuff doesn't seem right so that more people are aware because you get suckered into this we all do. <laughs> we, all want right. the, we all want the, the successful business. We want the, you know, um, what that level of um, income will give us and allow for our lives and what it does for our, our families and what it enables us to do. But I think if, we, if we're starting from a place that is what is our, the impact that we want to have um, and what is the change that we want to see in the world, that's a much better place to start and that you will have organic, beautiful, human-to-human marketing off the back of that just naturally because it couldn't happen any other way. Absolutely. The most rewarding work I've ever done in my career has been working for government campaigns on um, projects like the more Aboriginal teachers in classrooms and the Teach in the Territory campaign and responsible gambling campaigns where I actually get to... um, you know, help communities and engage with communities and see positive change. Marketing can be a force for good. Mm-hmm. It has had the power to start movements. I mean, look mm-hmm. at Black Lives Matters. That mm-hmm. is a campaign yeah. and it is a marketing campaign. Yeah. And so I really look forward to a time where marketers aren't looked upon as, you know, snake oil salesmen. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It never, that's certainly not the reason I got into marketing and I know it's not the reason you got into marketing. Um, So yeah, I think the more people that are aware that there is, there are alternatives to the way that we're being sold right now, um, the, the better, that will be better. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Melissa. That was such a great chat. I absolutely loved it. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. 
thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not press that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? You can also connect with me, Mia Fileman, on Instagram or LinkedIn, and feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.